Welcome to another weekly live stream with your truly Dr. Sarah Webb. Come on in the room, say hello. Let me know where you're tuning in from. This week we are continuing the three-part um, exploration of the history of colorism. And I broke it up into three parts to talk about the colonial period. Now, today we're talking about the pre-colonial period. And then next week we'll talk about the quote unquote, post-colonial period, although we know colonialism never actually ended. <laughs> um, okay, so in thinking about the history of colorism, I want to say that humans have always noticed difference, right? And that's part of what makes life so great. I have a t-shirt, some of you know about it. I see color and I love it, right? And so it's okay to be different. It's okay to have difference. It's okay for things for you to notice that's Something is taller, something is wider, something is green, something is brown, right? And so that's part of the ecosystem. Ecosystems will not survive without diversity and difference. The problem is that humans are rarely neutral about those differences, right? We want to sort things based on their perceived difference or their perceived similarities. And even the sorting of differences, part of pattern recognition, doesn't have to be inherently bad, right? And so... I think of, you know, sorting foods into fruits versus vegetables or, you know, dairy versus non-dairy, right? So sorting categories, it doesn't have to be inherently bad in and of itself when we think about the evolution of humanity. So what's the problem then, right? If we have, we see differences and seeing differences is great and it's okay to sort things based on pattern recognition. The problem is not even, and not in the differences, the problem is not even in recognizing patterns of difference. The problem is when we start to place things into hierarchies because of those differences. And so thinking about what colorism is, what racism is, what sexism is, it's not just that, oh, we see these differences and we're able to see patterns across groups and categories. But because of these differences, we're going to place greater value on this person versus that person. So that's the problem. And I know I jumped right in to some of the content. So if you're just joining, I am Dr. Sarah Webb, the founder of Colorism Healing, and it is my mission to raise awareness about colorism around the globe. I want everyone on the planet to know what colorism is and also to shift attitudes around skin tone, around color, hair, features, and then also to take action to dismantle colorism. And one of the primary ways I'm doing that now is through speaking and trainings, as well as all the content that you all are consuming on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Um, and I will be taking time for questions, so feel free to drop your comments or questions in the chat. I will make time at the end to look at that. And if you are new to this series, this is part of a long series based on my new ebook, Corporate Colorism, Why Business Leaders Must Upgrade Their Anti-Racist Strategies. We're several weeks into this series and I highly recommend starting from the beginning because I talk about why anti-racism work does not work. It can't work without a lens of colorism being part of the equation. And so this week, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the histories of colorism. A lot of people focus on the colonial history and so I started there last week and now I'm looking about what existed before colonialism, right? And so what we see in a lot of places around the globe is that there were hierarchies and that there were there was skin tone stratification before European colonization came to these places, right? Ancient cultures were distinguishing and creating hierarchies amongst themselves even before they encountered 
European colonizers, right? And so that is also part of the global legacy of colorism. Yes, colonialism had a huge impact on it. That can't be understated. But part of how colorism has evolved over the, the world and over the history has a lot to do with the fact that even before then, a lot of ancient cultures did start to stratify and differentiate and hierarchize people based on their skin tones. And so a lot of it started with one of the main causes of historical skin tone stratification had a lot to do with labor conditions, right? And so we see a lot of patterns of where darker skin or having tan skin represented having to work most of the day outdoors, right? So outdoor labor, working in fields, working in construction, working in um, some type of servitude, right? Meant that you were more exposed to the sun. And so your skin tone compared to other people in your region, compared to other people in your locality who could afford to stay inside the palace, for example, for who could afford to work in a shoe shop or work um less in general, right? Or maybe they could afford to not work at all. And so you saw that the quote unquote ruling classes tended to have fair skin because of that. And then also they leaned into their skin tone difference to reestablish and reassert themselves as being different, right? Um, another cause or another thing that we saw pre-colonial was not just that tie to working class versus, you know, uh, the wealthy class, but also regional differences. So one thing we know about how skin tone has evolved over time, human skin tone has evolved over time, is that as humans began to settle farther and farther away from the equator, getting less sun exposure, less UV light, humans evolved to have less melanin, to produce less melanin when they were in nor extremely northern climates or extremely southern climates even. And so we see that in some places, for example, I think a really interesting case of this is in India, where you have Indians from the far north who tend to be lighter skinned than Indians from the far south, right? And so we see, have seen, a, even in ancient India, patterns where southern Indians who were also darker skinned were stigmatized or marginalized or um, placed in a lower caste than northern Indians who tended to be lighter skinned, right? And so there are it's not a blanket statement. You could have someone who's browner and from the north, and you could have someone who's not as brown who's also from the south. But generally speaking, those are patterns that we see historically even before the European um, colonization of certain places. And the... Let me check my notes. Ah, yeah, so this is what I was saying about how skin tones have evolved over time. We have to remember as we're thinking about something like colorism and skin tone bias against people with darker skin, is that dark skin was original, right? Because all shades of skin come from dark skin, which is part of the egregiousness of something like colorism, where dark skin is being stigmatized. Because all of the lighter shades of skin tone came from dark skinned people, right? Dark skin, and thinking about the evolution of humanity, was the original skin tone. <laughs> and so the the unnatural hierarchy that we've created to say that now all of a sudden the lightest skin tones are somehow superior, I think is very um, ahistorical and dishonors the fact that there would be the lighter skin tones would not exist had they not come from darker skin tones to begin with. Um, okay. 
So then I also want to talk about the existence of hierarchies and a natural hierarchy versus an unnatural hierarchy. And I mentioned that seeing difference, even sorting things because they're different, is, doesn't have to inherently be bad. And I think a very basic example of this, when a hierarchy or a system of prioritization might actually benefit us, is in our hierarchy of needs, right? So humans are hard, hardwired to see difference. We literally couldn't survive life if we didn't notice difference and see, have pattern recognition, right? And also prioritizing things is also a part of survival. It's also a natural thing for humans to place greater priority on one thing over another. And so I use the example of we need oxygen more than we need toothpaste, right? We can, sur we can survive without brushing our teeth. We might not want to <laughs> not brush our teeth, but we can literally continue to live if we don't brush our teeth. We can live without teeth, but we can't live without oxygen. So if you're gonna give me one of the other oxygen or toothpaste, I will take oxygen every time, right? Oxygen is more important, more valuable to me than toothpaste. Going a step further, Brushing my teeth is more important to me than putting on makeup or, in my case, picking out my afro, right? I need to brush my teeth more than I need to wear lipstick or, you know, do my hair, right? And so it's okay to have hierarchies and thinking about the natural world. But the problem is that throughout history, all of history, ancient history, current history, is that we were creating unnatural, oppressive social hierarchies, right? Social hierarchies like colorism, social hierarchies like sexism and, and racism and all the other classism even, they're not natural hierarchies. There's no biological need to place people into these hierarchies. And proof that a hierarchy based on race or color is unnatural is the ways that they've had to resort to violence and rape and genocide and uh, political cheating, political fraud, and economic stealing, and coercive, and trauma, and psychological and emotional abuse, right? When you think about how much effort and investment it takes to maintain or try to enforce hierarchies based on color or race, we understand that it's not actually natural, right? Because if, it, if we were naturally sorting ourselves just because of the inherent or innate um, worth that we have, then you wouldn't have to result to redlining. You wouldn't have to result to shackles and guns and, you know, pillaging. And so these hierarchies are not natural and they shouldn't be written off as like, oh, well, and I'm saying, as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about a specific example. When I was in grad school, we were reading, um, you know, a little bit about the colonial context of some of the Shakespeare plays that we were reading. And a white guy in my class, <laughs> he said, well, it's their fault for being colonized. That's, that's what this guy said, right? He was like, oh, well, it's their fault for being colonized. If they were strong enough or if they cared enough, they would have fought back and they would have won, right? And so he's saying that, you know, what we call survival of the fittest or quote unquote natural selection, right? That was his argument. But my argument is that if I'm really, if I'm really inferior to you, then you wouldn't have to have Jim Crow segregation. You wouldn't have to refuse me or deny me the right, to, the right to learn how to read. You wouldn't have to lynch me for trying to vote, right? And so the fact that co colonial powers have had to resort to so much violence um, is indicative of the fact that it's not true. It's not 
an actual natural social hierarchy that we are inferior. Because if I was naturally inferior, you wouldn't have to do anything for me to be um, marginalized, right? And the fact that you're fighting so hard to keep me marginalized proves that it's not naturally meant to be that way. So that's an argument that I want to make there. But again, thinking about some of the historical causes I mentioned, like uh, correlations between working class people versus, you know, wealthy classes of people and how outdoor labor contributed to um, darker skin being associated with working class people versus, you know, regional differences where people from the north who were, would naturally be a little lighter skinned than people who um, settled in southern regions and seeing the class warfare between those people. But as we get closer to present day, those causes are not, it's hard to draw a direct line from colorism to those types of causes. And one of the reasons is that, one, migratory patterns of humans have drastically significantly changed, right? In ancient history, people weren't moving across the globe at the rate that we are now, right? And so there's far more migration and mixing of people. And so it's harder to draw a direct line from present day colorism to something like uh, regional differences. Another thing that's happened since ancient history, since the pre-colonial period, is there are, um, there is more racial mixing. There's more interracial marriages, right? And mixed race people coming, uh, being born. And so skin tone has changed across generations more rapidly in current history or more recent history than it did in ancient history, right? And so we don't see the causes I just mentioned from ancient history, from ancient cultures and ancient nations, it's not as pronounced, it's not as um, evident these days, but the skin tone hierarchy is just as pronounced, right? It's actually become more entrenched. And so the causes have changed because of the impact of colonialism. So again, if you missed last week's live on the colonial impact of colorism and how that has contributed to this, go back and watch that as well. But the purpose of this slide was simply to acknowledge that there was skin tone stratification even before the um, rise of colonialism. And then one more thing, I am getting to your questions and comments, I promise. I see some things coming through the wire <laughs> that I want to address and talk about. Um, the last thing I'll say is that knowing, when we know that there was skin tone hierarchies, there was skin tone stratification, that there was um, an association of certain skin tones with wealthy classes, for example, it further challenges the notion or the argument that colorism is simply a byproduct of racism. Because race, as we currently conceive of it today and how we currently think of it today, did not exist in, ancient, in the ancient world, right? The ancient world, especially pre-colonial times, did not conceive of race the way we talk about it today in 2023. And yet, and yet, even before our modern day concept of race existed, even before that, people were creating hierarchies based on skin tone. People were noticing difference and assigning value to that difference based on differences in skin tone. So last week I introduced the idea that it was this recognition of differences in skin tone that facilitated the construction of race as we currently know it today. So that's what I have for you all today. I have time for questions and comments. Again, this is part of an ongoing live series based on my ebook, Corporate Colorism. I also wanna say that you can download the PDF for free, but only through March 31st. So 
I decided that I'm gonna place a cap on how long I'm offering the free downloaded version of this. So if you really, really wanna be studious and read the text from that inspires this series of live streams, make sure to download that before March 31st. All right, so we have plenty of time for questions and comments. I am going to start on the YouTube LinkedIn side because there are fewer comments there. Um, hi, Jamila, good to see you. Um, we black by popular demand. Michael, always good to see you. Hey, Aya. Um, Aya, do we have closed captioning by chance? Where can I find it? Um, I'm not sure if LinkedIn automatically provides closed captioning because I'm not doing this via Zoom. I know how on Zoom you can people can um, select to start closed captioning. I'm not sure how that would work on a LinkedIn or YouTube Live per se. Um, Ava says, this is very interesting information on this matter. Thank you immensely, Dr. Webb. You are, you're welcome. Um, hello, valuable information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Ava says, colorism seems to be much more widely inflicted on black people within the black community by other black people. So this is actually a, a misunderstanding of colorism, Ava. So I recommend going back to all my previous lives from this year where I talk about there are two types of colorism. There is intraracial colorism, which is the one that everyone knows, where it is, for example, a black person perpetuating colorism to a black person, but there's also interracial colorism where white people perpetuate colorism against black people or non-black people, other races of people can perpetuate colorism across different races. And so when we understand that part of the history of colorism is that white people differentiated amongst black people based on their skin tones, and so we started to internalize that, we really can't make the argument that it's just black people because black people didn't create colorism, right? That, that has to be just stated very plainly and very bluntly. Black people did not create colorism and black people are far from the only ones to perpetuate it. When you go to India, you see far more explicit skin, skin bleaching advertisements, far more explicit in the marriage ads that are placed for arranged marriages. We want a fair skin bride, only a fair skin bride, right? And so it's actually a global phenomenon that is perpetuated by people of all races. Okay, Diane James, it makes me understand more how colorism came about. Good, that was my hope. All right, so, oh, JB1710 brought a badge on Instagram, thank you. All right, any questions or comments from Instagram? I see schoolboy Hugh. I think because white people hate differences in people and feel the need to make everything the same, though their pathological rigidity. Oh, can't wait to get your book. All right, yeah. Um, part of, I think schoolboy Hugh on Instagram is making a really good point that the white supremacist, patriarchal capitalist regime that we're currently living under needs conformity. It feeds off of standardization. And I, as I say standardization, I think about um, school and educational policies and things like that. But yeah, patriarchal white supremacists and capitalist societies, they need things to be binary. They need things to be either or. And they need things to be in a hierarchy, right? And I talked about last week how the purpose of this is not just, oh, it's fun to talk about difference. Oh, it's fun to sort things into categories, right? This sorting and this hierarchization of difference is so that certain people can hoard resources, so that certain people, the oppressors, can hoard um, economic, financial, and political, and even psychological 
capital, right? Because it is their self-concept and their entire ego identity at stake as well. All right. And so I don't see any more questions coming through. So I'm going to wrap it up with your homework and your affirmation. One quick summary of what we talked about so far. I see one comment, Alombe Braith says, skin bleaching is embarrassing in USA more than any place else. Yeah, so in the United States, skin bleaching is more stigmatized and in other places is more widely accepted and more mainstream. All right, so again, to recap that ancient cultures, even before colonialism, even before our present day concept of race, um, had skin tone stratification, right, amongst their own um, cultures. And those hierarchies based on skin tone difference um, were not natural. And although the causes, the ancient causes of that skin tone hierarchy are less pronounced today, the hierarchies themselves have become even more pronounced since the impact of colonialism. So your homework is to start a conversation about colorism with someone who has a different cultural background or a different ethnic background than you do. So this speaks to the, the comment that I read about colorism only being amongst black people. And so this homework is especially for you, the person who made that comment, uh, so that you can see and become aware, because part of my mission is for people to be aware of colorism, have a critical understanding of colorism, and not just a he said, she said understanding of colorism, not just a I heard it through the grapevine color, understanding of colorism, but like an actual um, learned, studied understanding of colorism. Talk to somebody from a different ethnicity than you somebody who grew up in a different part of the world than you are in a different um, ethnic uh, context than you did about their experiences with colorism. And to be honest, this is something you can Google. It's the uh, information is widely available on colorism in India, for example, colorism in Asia writ large, um, colorism in Central America, South America, Latin America. It exists across all ethnicities, all racial groups. And then your affirmation is I have been shaped by the past, but I am not defined by the past. And so, you know, what Colorism Healing stands for is the educational piece, but also the empowerment piece. So I want you to know these things. I want you to have the knowledge and the information, but I also want you to feel empowered to change something about your reality, whether it's just changing your own attitude, changing your own bias, or impacting your family circle, or impacting your friend circle, are impacting your workplace, talking to your colleagues, talking to your supervisors about this issue of colorism, right? And so, yes, you know, you understand colorism as you engage and do your own research and um, consume different content, but not only take the understanding and the knowledge, but then actually go and create change for yourself and for others around you. So your affirmation, I have been shaped by the past, but I am not defined by the past. And you can join me again next week, same place, same time for a live lecture on the post-colonial legacies of colorism. I'm really excited about that one um, because that's when we get to talk about things like the paper bag test and skin bleaching ads. Oh, I can't wait to show y'all some of the skin bleaching ads that have happened in uh, the recent decades. Um, and don't forget to grab the corporate colorism PDF 
download before March 31st. It will still be available to purchase as an ebook after March 31st, but if you want to take advantage of it being a freely available now as a PDF, then you want to definitely look at the links that are below. All right. Um, let me see if there are some last minute comments that I can address. Um, Mark M. My Keys says, how do you feel about the pushback to people who make the distinction of mixed race as a different category by saying we're all mixed? That goes back to my, something I say very often is that race is a social construct. And what you're saying, like the, the issue that you're bringing up is proof of that. People will always reshape and shapeshift racial identity and shapeshift racial categories to fit their purposes, to suit their agenda, right? And so one, I would say, what's the person who's saying that? What's their agenda? What do they have to gain from framing race in that way? What do they have to, what is the benefit to them for defining racial identity the way that they do? Because race as an idea only came about to suit the purposes and the agenda, the capitalist agenda, the white supremacist patriarchal agenda of a select few people. And so as we are engaging in that dynamic, we also have to be asking ourselves that question as well. Like what, to what ends am I trying to define race in this way, right? All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Diane Jones says, how is skin bleaching any different from tanning your skin or any other changes? So one, skin bleaching has existed a lot longer than tanning as a practice. Tanning has only existed for a couple of decades, whereas skin bleaching has existed for centuries. So it's a blip on the radar in terms of the legacy of skin bleaching and skin whitening practices. But secondly, Tanning is not the same as skin bleaching because people who want to tan are not socially marginalized if they don't tan. Tanning is not a way to move up the socioeconomic opportunity ladder. But people who bleach their skin very much believe and perceive, and with ample evidence, they're doing that so that they have greater socioeconomic political opportunities so that they can stand a better chance of getting a job or finding a mate, right? Whereas tanning is still sort of uh, a cosmetic or fad or it's more trendy, but for people who bleach their skin, for people who practice skin bleaching, for them, it's a matter of, am I actually going to be able to achieve life goals? Am I actually going to be able to be treated fairly? Am I going to be able to avoid systemic discrimination and systemic marginalization by being lighter skinned? All right. All right, folks, thank you for your time. I appreciate your uh, attention to this conversation. I think colorism is still under addressed and not often enough um, given the, the gravity and given the significance and importance that it actually needs and deserves. And so I appreciate everyone who is engaging and leaning into this conversation and helping to spread that awareness. All right, I'll see y'all next week. Much love.